So tonight's um, sermon is it's a bit of a bit of a warning, bit of a yeah. I feel like like the Lord has laid something on my heart about a passion for His name, uh, a passion for uh, for 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 the church again. Um, that is, there's a zeal uh, for for Zion. There's a zeal, and there was a man in the Bible called Nehemiah, and we will look at his life, and we will talk a little bit about the things that he was doing. He was rebuilding a wall, but zeal consumed him. And it's God's purpose, ultimately, to build his church. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 18, um, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the anointed one. You are the one. And then he said, you are right, Peter. No man has revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And upon this revelation, I will build my church that I am the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, build it labor in vain. In other words, we need to do this with Jesus. So do you think that Jesus has got a plan for the church? Yes. You can bet your top US dollar, top whatever currency you want to use, you can bet it on this. But Jesus is busy building his church. The church will prevail. The church is Jesus' plan. It's not an afterthought. It's never been an afterthought. It's the body of Christ, of Jesus being the head of that. Look at this verse in... Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So he is dedicated and, and he asks us to join in with him, to build with him. What is the house that, that Jesus desires is what I want to talk about maybe a little bit tonight. And Nehemiah became a man gripped with a vision, a zeal, a passion. And he wanted to see Zion restored. He wanted to see God's people restored. He wanted walls standing. And what does the wall symbolize? It symbolized protection. It, it symbolized separation, really, in essence, and security. Often in the New Testament, we hear Jesus saying, come out from them, my people. Come out. Often God warns his people, don't do this because you will be like them. Come out from them, my people. He wanted not just to build walls standing. He wanted to see gates to be strong again. And gates symbolizes the entrance of things, the power and authority. There's an establishment and a... And a and a rebuilding of these things that we see in the earth right now. God is busy restoring his church. 
And ultimately, he wanted the purpose of God established. I want to see in my generation, like David says, it was said of David in the New Testament, it says this, and David fulfilled his purpose in his generation. I want one day, I don't care if people write books about me, talk about me afterwards, I just want to fulfill my purpose in this generation. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, Lord. But fulfilling this vision involves a battle. So I'm glad that we spoke about the battlefield tonight, the prophetic word. It will involve a battle. Powerful enemies will oppose you. Look at this one in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 10. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly. That someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They got angry. People will get angry when you talk about Jesus. People will get frustrated when you talk about church. And the restoration of the church and the apostolic and the prophetic and these things. The church is God's plan. Just before I came, I corrected somebody. In America, funny enough. Because he'd said, it's just, you know, we can just all get together. It's just, you know, we don't need the church. Because we're two or more gathered in in Jesus' name. I go, no, that scripture is out of context. That's in Matthew 18. It's got nothing to do with people just getting together and calling it a church. It's got to do with church discipline. Go read it if you don't believe me. Matthew chapter 18. Go read it. Read the context. It's got to do about church discipline and where elders agree about putting somebody out of the church. And Jesus says, we two or more are gathered. There I'll be. If you make that decision as elders, it's going to happen. We use it so quickly and say, well, it's just us two. I can be Macy and not Icy. You know? Just the two of us. And then we're a church. No. This is the church. This is the church. The word is Ecclesia and I'm off my notes and I should get back on my notes as a good preacher. But here's the thing. Ecclesia is what's called out. The church is the called out ones. God has called you out of the world to meet together. Paul later writes, he says this. He says, do not forsake The fellowship of believers, as some do, but warn one another. You're obviously not part of that right now because you're in church tonight. Well done. But go warn those that don't go to church anymore. And the reason why my friend doesn't go to church, I understand it 100%. Because of hurt. But how many times have I said, have you slammed your finger in your car's door? Yes. Do you discard your car just because he hurts you? Throw him away and say, be gone. No, we don't. We climb in, we rev it a little bit and drive off. A little bit more, drive off. That's what we do. Church is God's plan. The church is God's vehicle. It's filled with people that's hurt. And hurt people hurt people. 
That's why we come to church to get healed and set free. I don't have three points for you of how you can get easily, instantaneously healed. I'm still searching for that as well after 31 years. Because it's a day-by-day thing for me. I'm walking with Jesus. But I'm walking with you. And I'm asking Donnie, Donnie, speak into my life. And he does. They do. You're not just going to get enemies opposing you. That displeasure that they have, they were displeased. It will actually just quickly develop into anger. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. Do you think he was really upset? Greatly and, and jeered at the Jews. <laughs> he was really upset. So ladies and gentlemen, tonight we too are, we have an enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 to 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. We have a lion. His name is the Lion of Judah. His name is Jesus. He's like a lion. He's a wannabe. He can only imitate. He cannot create. He will only imitate. Seeking someone to devour. Where does a lion devour? When you are, you know, live videos are cake, nah. But I want to like a That guy from, from, huh? David Attenbury. That guy. That guy. That woman who moist him. Have you seen? Like there's that little bookie that's like running all on his own. And the top is there eating there. And he's like, oh, I want to eat you. And then the lion's like, you know, my kids are traumatized watching this. And they say like it's family fun. And I'm like, this is everything but family fun. But it's when you're not part of the pack. You take a coal. Who, who likes to bry? That's it. Huh? Take a coal out of the fire, put it alone somewhere on its own. It will die. You've got to keep that coal in that fire. One coal is not going to eat. Two or more coals are not going to eat me. You need a whole fire. We're in a war, so I'm reading scripture. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're all experiencing. We are at war. He hates the church. Satan hates the church. And he makes war against it. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, you guys can go read that. He makes war against the church. So if you want to echo this evening, and this is the crux of tonight, if you want to echo what David says in Psalm 69, verse 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me. Another version says, for passion or zeal for your house has eaten me up. David is saying, that is all I'm thinking about is your house, Lord. It consumes me. If you can pray this with David, 
you should expect resistance from Satan. If you have a passion to see Zion restored, to see the church beautiful, presented like a chaste virgin, that's what Paul prayed, like a chaste virgin to the Lord. He said this in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. Look at this. I feel a divine jealousy for you. I want to say this, Josh Chin, Muscle Bay, PM, I have a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed to you one husband to present you. One day, I want to present each one of you. I want to stand there. And if Jesus says, who is there, pastor? I want to go, me, me, me. I think some pastors want to hide away on that day. That day, that dreadful day, the Bible calls it sometimes. But I want to present you. Like I'm going to present my daughter one day. A pure and chaste virgin. Is that not beautiful what Paul's praying for them? Then, if you're praying this type of stuff, then it will send ripple effects and of fear and trembling and fury and anger into the enemy's camp. So what is zeal? If David prays, zeal for your house has consumed me. Well, zeal is a pure and sincere devotion to God. If you love someone, hear me out. If you love someone, you got to love everything about that person. So if you love Jesus, you should love his church. If you love someone, you'll love everything about that person. But people say, no, no, I pick to just love Jesus. Just me and Jesus. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you, Jesus, and the church. Because the church is what Jesus loves. Ephesians tells us that Christ laid down his life for the church. I want to mention four ways from the life of Nehemiah. We're going to look a little bit deeper into Nehemiah's life. That the devil will use to thwart the purposes and the plans of God for your life. Ways that he will use to stop you from achieving what God wants you to achieve. Ways to deceive you. And Paul prayed this in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He says, I am, before this, he says, I have this jealousy for you. He says, but I am afraid. He continues with this thought. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning your thoughts will be led astray from a pure and sincere, sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So don't be deceived through the cunning of the serpent. Don't be deceived. And the first thing that he will use is mockery. Mockery. Turn with me to Nehemiah. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 1 to 3 says, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in, his, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? 
Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at, at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down the stone wall. I mean, if that's not mocking. That wall's not going to last. A little fox is going to run up against it and break it down. It's useless. What are they doing? See, we all want to be accepted. And the devil knows that. We don't like mockery. We don't like to be mocked and ridiculed. Satan knows this about our flesh. We want honor. We want respect. That's what we want. How did Nehemiah overcome this? How did he overcome? How did he not just stop? I mean, like, like it's the same question that was maybe asked Noah. Like, what are you building? A boat. What's a boat? Nah, this thing is going to sail on the ocean. What? Yeah, it's going to rain a lot. What? What's rain? <laughs> it didn't rain up to that point. Who spoke to you? No, God spoke to me. Yeah. It's the same thing, yeah. Same thing. How did Nehemiah overcome this? Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 3. Look at this, what he says. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I'm busy. I'm busy with the things of Jesus. That's basically what he answered them. He declares this boldly. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nothing could stop Nehemiah. And what is the best answer to mockery? We see this in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes on that, the wall will break down, a stone wall. Okay. If a fox goes up, well, he just carried on. He just kept on building the wall. He didn't stop. It's like, oh, okay, you can say whatever you want to. You can say whatever you want to about my wall, but the proof is in the pudding at the end of the day. If God's with me, it's going to happen. He didn't stop. He didn't waver. He didn't go, oh, man, that hurt now, you know. Those words really cut deep, you know. I'm going to eat some worms, big fat juicy ones. You know, why, why are you speaking so badly about me? I was just doing the work of Jesus. It's just like, I'm just going to keep on building. I'm just going to build the wall. When people mock you, build the wall. Continue, stay true to your conviction. Don't need to, you don't need to vindicate yourself. Keep on doing the good work that God prepared for you. Keep on walking in it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells that God is, has prepared good works for each one of us. And we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. That word is poem, which means poem. God is busy writing a story about your life. 
Like he wrote a story about Nehemiah's life. Walls is separation. I said that earlier. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 tells us this. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Come out from the world and do the things that God has prepared for you. This is the basis of holiness. God says, be holy as I am holy. Throw off the offenses. Bible says that a man that is offended is like a fortified city, like the bars of iron in front of a window. So the Bible tells us. So when you are offended, you become like a fortified city. And defend yourself the whole time. Don't get offended. The fact that the wall stood was proof that God was with Nehemiah. Let the Lord defend you. The next one, the next thing, apart from mockery, was compromise. Well, mockery didn't stop Nehemiah. And even their predictions that we see here in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, these are they, they didn't come true. Listen to this, Nehemiah chapter 4. Got it? No? Don't? One minute? I'll get it. Got it. Just got to put my glasses on. There we go. So we built the wall. <laughs> so we, we just continue with the work of God. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they're repairing. Now it's all of a sudden there's a lot more guys coming to pitch in on this one. Heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Mockery didn't stop them. They disapproved what the Israelites were doing. See, the context shows that their plan was actually to destroy the work of God and to create confusion. But actually this was nothing but compromise. All they wanted was that Nehemiah would stop. That's all. To compromise. And here, here's a few things that the world will throw at you for you to stop. Don't take your religion so seriously. Keep things in proportion. You are fanatical about God. God only wants you to be reasonable. You are a cult. Being there, done that, got the t-shirt. 
Why must you insist on speaking in tongues and all the noise in worship? These are just things that the world will throw at you so that you can compromise and stop. That's all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I'm not here to please man. I'm here to please my God who will test my heart in the end. How did Nehemiah deal with this? Well, Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 3. This is kind of running commentary. And I sent messengers. So he basically said that to him. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Why should the work stop? While I leave it and debate with you. 1 Timothy 1 verse 4 talks about endless genealogies. You just talk about stuff all the time. You just want to debate. That's just another way of compromise. Why devote yourself to endless stories? It should be about my father's work and devote myself to the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Devote myself to breaking of bread. Devote myself to prayer and fellowship. Why must I forsake the fellowship of the saints to argue with you? That's really the question. Why must I come down and now just engage in an argument with you? I need to be faithful and I need to obey the purpose of God. I think Jesus would have answered the same thing hanging on the cross. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down until it's finished. There's many other ways Satan will try to misdirect or redirect the purposes of God in your life. All he wants is that you do not have a zeal for God's house anymore. He just wants you to lose that passion. He'll use lies. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 6 says that it was reported and Geshem says, you intend to rebel. I know, but they're talking lies. They're telling lies. They say, no, 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 I know. You guys are rising up and you wanna become the king and it's just a rumor. It's lies that are based upon rumors and that is one of the ways the enemy will try and keep you away from the purposes of God. Nehemiah's answer is in chapter 6, verse 8. Then I sent him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. <laughs> Rumors. I remember I was in the church in the year 2000. Who was in the church in the year 2000? 1999, that crossover. Man, we were all sitting on a roof somewhere waiting for the rapture to happen. We had lots of bully beef. It was the end of the world that was going to happen. Rumors. 23 years later, we're still here. <laughs> still waiting. Jesus says, I'll be back soon. Yeah, 
He also said that a thousand years is like one day. Okay. <laughs> What's the other way that Satan will use? The last one I want to talk about quickly is fear. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of that name, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now he's luring him into the church. He says, you can hide here. They want to kill you. Fear. Fear. See, the subtlety of Shemaiah appears as his friend that's encouraging him to retreat to a place of safety. Jesus also understood this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 to 23. He says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned around. He said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Don't try and manipulate me with fear. Just be strong. Be courageous. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 11. Look at this. Is this an arrogant question? Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Nehemiah says, must I just run away? No, I'm not. That's not arrogance. You know what meekness is? The Bible says, Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is a true estimation of who you are in Jesus Christ. And Nehemiah understood who his God was. That God is with me. I'm not going to run away. You're not going to kill me. I don't care if you mock me. I don't care if you ask me to compromise. I will not compromise. I don't care about your lies. I don't care about your fear tactics either. I am more than a conqueror. So in ending, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. The wall was finished. Look at it. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. They finished the wall. One hand, the shovel, and the other hand, a spear and a sword. But they finished it. They finished it in like 52 days, 53 days. Something like that. Let's look, let's look at Paul's attitude in this as well. Second Timothy chapter 4. How Paul responded. I have fought the good fight. 
and that's not a, um, a scripture out of context for husbands and wives to fight. Okay, all right. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I keep on. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. We need to start strong. It's wonderful to start strong. Ecclesiastes tells us the start is great, but it's the ending that really counts. Start strong with a desire, with devotion. Start with zeal. I want to encourage you, if today is your day of salvation, start strong with Jesus. And continue strong with Jesus. Continue with a devotion to Jesus, a zeal. To finish strong. Your readiness to start must match you completing it. So don't just start strong, but finish strong. Imagine Jesus said, well, I'm done with this. I'm done with the mockery. I'm done with the sour wine. I'm done with the spears. I'm done with everything. I'm climbing off this cross now. He would have never said, tetelestai, it is finished. Follow Jesus. If you start, then finish it. Don't quit. Don't fall on the wayside. This is what Jesus said. John 17, 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I want to pray that one day. That I've completed the work that Jesus gave me. May this be each one of our attitudes. That I will accomplish the work that Jesus gave me to do. Let's close our eyes quickly. I want to, as your eyes are closed, I just want to read something out of Luke chapter 14. You don't have to put that up, Dirk. Otherwise, people are going to look to me, to the board. I want to read Luke chapter 14 from verse 28 to 33. For which of you Desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. 
And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and has asked for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 